Welcome to the Dials and Dials podcast, India's first podcast dedicated to watchmaking and horology. This is Rudreyo, and I'll be taking you on a journey about individual watch brands, collectors and their stories, the history of horology, trivia, and much more. But before we can move ahead with any of this, let me introduce you to Dials and Dials and my watch collecting journey. My interest in watches began at the age of 16 when I got my great-granddad's watches from my grandmom and my dad. These watches had a certain air about them that spoke about the older days and countless memories which were made with them. Before I realized it, I was drawn to the designs of brands such as Omega, Breitling, Zenith, and Chopard, and to the history of brands such as Seiko and Hoyer. And as I restored these watches, I connected with many enthusiasts and found myself part of a few watch collecting coteries. My passion grew, and the idea to share this with people took form. I started blogging about two of my favorite topics, which is cars and watches. But this wasn't enough. This wasn't the personal connect which I wanted with people, and this is where we are today: the Dials and Dials podcast. Why Dials and Dials? This is because cars and watches are connected by a very common part which we fail to realize, and that is the dial. While this podcast is dedicated to watches, I will be bringing up cars should the opportunity arise, or if there is a connection between the two. Today, I want to discuss a brand. which is highly coveted not only in the watch world but also by the common people or non-collecting people as a symbol of wealth and accomplishment Rolex is the most recognized and sought after brand on this planet with its green boxes and banners association with the top sports and athletes and sometimes long and delayed wait lists no conversation in an enthusiast forum is ever complete without the mention of a Rolex and there is always a possibility that a collector will have either a Rolex or its sub brand or Tudor in their watch box while i respect the brand for what they have done and accomplished over the years there are many like me who often find rolex overrated or overpriced and even if that isn't the case many people are put off by the fact that they cannot just walk into a store and buy a rolex or that they have to pay a hefty sum to just get their favorite model from a gray market so let's have a look at rolex why people want to buy one and why getting one is difficult Let's start off with why people want to buy a Rolex. There are three primary reasons for this: history, quality, and the image of exclusivity. To understand the first two points, we need to understand Rolex's history, and I'm not talking about the recent history. I mean from way back when they started. Rolex was founded in 1905 by German-born Hans Wilsdorf and his brother-in-law Alfred Davis under the eponymous name Wilsdorf and Davis. They imported Swiss movements from Hohmann Angler and placed them in locally manufactured cases. These watches in turn were sold by local jewelers who bore their own names on the dial and marked the case backs with the initials WND. Sensing success of their own name, in 1908 Wilsdorf trademarked the name Rolex, which was sequestered from foreign influence of language and was easy, easily pronounceable. Wilsdorf elucidated the need for precision in watchmaking since the early days. He set up an office in La Chaux-de-Fonds, Switzerland in 1908 and worked to make his brand's wristwatch the first to receive the Swiss certificate of chronometric precision bestowed by the official watch rating center in Bayonne, Switzerland. Wilsdorf secured a class A precision certificate from the Kew Observatory in 1914, which is usually reserved for marine chronometers. This was done to resonate with British customers who were ardent about timekeeping. Sales boomed and due to the heavy taxation on Swiss movements, 
Swilstof moved Rolex to Geneva to make the brand a complete Swiss manufacturer. With production costs reducing due to the move offshore, Wilsdorf set his sights on a prevailing problem on early 1900 watches, and that was moisture and dust damage to the case and movements. After extensive research, in 1927, the world was introduced to one of the most recognizable turns on a Rolex, the Oyster case. The Oyster case was proved highly capable in 1927 when British swimmer Mercedes Glitz swam across the entire British Channel wearing a Rolex Oyster. In 1931, the Oyster Perpetual was born. It was the brand's first automatic or self-winding watch, and it was based on an improved version of John Harvard's self-winding movement. An interesting point to note is that John Harvard, an English watchmaker, gave us the initial basis of the automatic movement in 1923. This movement is what we now call the bumper rotor movement. Following the Oyster, Rolex launched many models, which are considered icons today. The date just debuted in 1945 to commemorate the brand's 40 years. The Turnograph, a watch with an ingenious rotating bezel that laid the foundation for future Rolex tool watches. The Submariner debuted in 1953, and the Cosmograph debuted in 1954. We call this watch the Daytona today. The JMT Master debuted in 1955, and it was the first watch that could switch between two different time zones. The electromagnetic-resistant Milgauss debuted in 1956, and the Deep Sea debuted in 1960. This was the watch that was used in the Mariana Trench expedition in the record-making Bathyscape or submarine, the Trieste. Two watches that stand out in Rolex's range are the Submariner and the Daytona. The Submariner is a result of the success of the Oyster case and the capability of the Turnograph bezel. Rolex had already established itself as a waterproof tool, but as recreational and purpose-driven diving increased, so did the demand of waterproof watches. The Submariner proved successful in many senses. It was not only the first tool of choice of many divers in their era, but also the most trusted tool of Jacques Yves Cousteau, a legendary figure in the world of diving and ocean conservation. He was an oceanographer, filmmaker, and inventor, and the Sub was one of the top choices of Cousteau and his team at the time of the dive watch wars. 1954 saw the birth of the Rolex Cosmograph, which is also called the Pre-Daytona by collectors. This was Rolex's first race-inspired watch. After a few variations of the Cosmograph, the name Daytona debuted in 1965 on the newest variation of reference number 6239. This was called the Exotic Dial. Originally, they wanted to call the watch the Le Mans, but due to copyright issues, they named the watch Daytona, honoring the track where they were the official timepiece. You can still find a few of these Le Mans adverts on Google should it interest you. We also cannot talk about the Rolex Daytona without even mentioning Paul Newman. The reason the exotic dial was renamed the Paul Newman dial. We all know who Paul Newman is. The legendary race car driver and actor received his watch from his wife with the engraving "Drive carefully, me" written on the back of his watch. This was to ensure that he drove safely on the sets of his film "Winning" and in his racing pursuits. This watch went on to feature in many magazines. Where many Italian readers took a fancy towards this dial, they went on to give the exotic dial the subadult status, which we all follow till this day. The more collector-driven version of the Paul Newman dial is the reference number six two four one. This watch featured a bakelite bezel, a scale of two hundred to two fifty instead of sixty to three hundred as seen on the older models, and a slimmer non-oyster case with a smaller crown on it. Like Paul Newman. There have been many key figures who have used Rolex watches for professional use. 
So Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay used the Rolex Explorer when they summited Mount Everest in 1953. So Malcolm Campbell used the Rolex Oyster when he went on his record-breaking land speed run of 484.995 kilometers per hour. In fact, the Rolex Air King was the standard issue watch of RAF pilots during the Second World War. Besides professional use, there have also been many celebrities who have used Rolex: Steve McQueen, Dr. Martin Luther King. Winston Churchill, Roger Federer, and so on. Whatever I've spoken about has cemented the fact that the Rolex is a precision tool watch preferred by professionals. But how did it become a jewelry watch, or the watch which everyone aspires for? That brings us to the third reason of why people buy Rolexes: the image of exclusivity. Now, this image of exclusivity can be broken down into two parts: an image of success. and the number of watches the manufacturer makes and sells in a year when you ask anyone to name a swiss luxury watch they will answer rolex as if it were their natural instinct this is because rolex spends a lot of money to make themselves known from major sponsorship deals in sports like tennis and formula 1 to testimonial advertisements print media and brand ambassadors in fact hans wilsdorf was known to spot the right opportunities and often gifted or sponsored watches to important figures Winston Churchill was gifted the 100,000 chronometer produced by Rolex. This was an oyster perpetual date just with an 18 karat gold case, fluted bezel, white dial and a jubilee bracelet. Some of the names whom I mentioned a while back have been sponsored by Rolex in their historic feats and in turn they have given raving testimonials about the performance of their timepieces. In fact, these testimonials are an integral part of the brand's advertisement machine. to solidify the impression of Rolex being at the very top of the watch collecting food chain the number of watches that Rolex makes and sells is another conversation by itself when i was researching for this episode it was difficult to pin the number of watches the brand exactly makes it is said to be anywhere between 800000 to 1.05 million watches a year the reason of this non clarity on numbers is a bit of a shocker It turns out that Rolex is actually a non-profit organization which is owned and managed by the Hans Wilsdorf Foundation. All profits and proceeds from Rolex go directly to the foundation who in turn donated to various charities and social causes. Thus as both parties are deemed non-profits they are not obligated to disclose any accounts financial and operational. But still with such highly rumored numbers Why is it that you cannot go and buy the model of your liking from a Rolex AD? The answer to this question is this. Rolex cannot match the supply with rising demands in the recent years. This supply and demand problem has led to the rise of the secondary market or the grey market, a place where used watches or excess stocks are bought and sold by third-party vendors. It is no secret that to obtain any Rolex at MSRP, you need to have a strong relationship with your local AD. You can get waitlisted for many years or in some cases never. And even if you want to buy your dream Rolex, you have to buy two or three different watches before you can make your dream purchase. Hence people are driven to the grey market where they can purchase the model of their choice easily under retail or with a heavy markup. Profiteers and online marketplaces have driven demand and prices exponentially. According to a graph by Watchcharts, Rolex supply in the secondary market has increased from 100% to 180% from 2022 to 2023. It is no surprise that used Rolex values beat even the value of gold and the stock market. Even Rolex has thrown in their hat 
in the used watch game. Across Europe and the US, you can pick up used Rolexes from participating ADs with a two-year international warranty, though the prices will be determined by the ADs themselves. After hearing me say so much about Rolex, you will naturally ask me, why do I find the brand overrated? I really like the wristwatches from the 1950s and 60s, and I would love to have one, provided the price is correct. But the watches of the present don't seem like an evolution or progression from its predecessors. They are still in essence the same old tool watch. Now this conversation may apply to other brands and models, but unlike a Sky Dweller, Deep Sea Challenge or Sea Dweller, Rolex just seems to be rolling out the same watch in different case sizes or dial variations. And when we talk about the way a watch looks, a GMT Master, Submariner, Explorer 2 and Yacht Master 1 look somewhat alike. And this is in comparison with its com competitors, such as the Seamaster and its range, or a Blopau and its range. Rolex is a brand that doesn't do complications, drastic design changes, or sub-models. And this works for them and the many people who adore the brand. But this isn't exciting to me, who looks for variation and drama in watches. The future may hold all sorts of surprises for us, but this is my take on the brand pursued and cherished by many. And with this, I would like to conclude the first ever episode of Dials and Dials. I hope you enjoy listening to the story as I have in researching and bringing it to you. I'll be bringing more stories and conversations about watches in the near future and would love to hear from you about topics to be covered and your thoughts on this podcast. You can reach out to me on Instagram. My IG is Rudy's iPod, which is spelled as follows. R-U-D-E-Y-S-I-P-O-D. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope to see you soon.